As we begin today, we'll be turning to Matthew chapter 7. We just have a couple more editions uh, of our study in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is telling us how he expects us as New Testament Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus should live. And he certainly has given us a lot. We're in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7. This is a passage that we've heard so many times, but we're going to go a little bit deeper in it today. Don't forget that one of the main lessons Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount is trust and reliance on God. Mark that down as one of the main themes of the Sermon on the Mount, trust and reliance on God. You know, instead of reliance on God being a sign of immaturity, you know, we're not independent, we need to rely on him. It's not a sign of immaturity, it's a sign of spiritual maturity. Sometimes it's hard for us to get that in our heads. As we mature as Christians, it means less reliance on ourselves, more reliance on God. So let's understand what Jesus meant when he said, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So the title of the sermon is Ask, Seek, and Knock. First of all, let's look at ask, and it will be given to you. And Jesus here is talking about communicating with God. Prayer is how we communicate our needs and our desires to God. God being omniscient, and that means all-knowing, since God is omniscient, he knows what we need, whether we ask or not, but we should still ask. He wants us to ask. A father loves it when he knows that his children depend on him. And that's how God feels. He enjoys it when we do ask. Now, hold your place there. We're going to look at James chapter 4 and verse 2. James 4, verse 2, James makes a very short statement. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not, you do not ask God. Okay, so there's a very important key there. We need to rely on God if we have a specific need or desire, even though God may know of it in advance, he still wants us to ask him. Because when we ask him, we're showing him that we do rely on him. We're coming to him with our desires and our needs. And James says, a lot of you don't have things that you need or maybe desire because you're not asking God. And my understanding of this passage in Matthew is we should ask with a continual asking. So we don't just mention it to God once, just like a child will not just mention once to the parent what they would like. It's a continual <laughs> nagging, if you will, a continual coming to God. That's what God wants from us. So God enjoys our prayers because our prayers demonstrate our trust in him as our loving father. And our faith 
that we are his beloved children. So you see that faith works two ways. We have to have faith that God is our loving father and we also have to have faith that we are his beloved children. And we're beloved of God, not because of anything we've done to deserve that, but because of Jesus Christ. When Jesus demonstrated himself as God's beloved son, when we claim Jesus as our savior and come under his sacrifice to have our sins forgiven, we become what Jesus is in that sense. We now are beloved children of God by and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And our prayers demonstrate our faith in him as the source of all good things. Remember what uh, James said in chapter 1, verse 17? Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So all good things in our lives have come from God, whether we realize it or not. The perfect gifts, the good gifts, come from above. And God is a God that we can count on. He doesn't change like people do. He does not change like shifting shadows. We know that whenever we pray to God, he has our best interest at heart. Our best interest. You know, when I first became a Christian, I thought, hey, this, this is pretty good. Ask and it will be given to you. And immediately my mind came up with a lot of things that I would like to have. Of course, a lot of us would think about a million dollars. Okay, God, I'm asking now for a million dollars. But you know what? God loves you too much to give you a million dollars. Because he knows what a million dollars would do to you. And how it would change your life radically, usually in a bad way. You read the stories about these people that win the big lotteries and how it changes them. Their life changes drastically. All of a sudden now, they've got a, a ton of people who know that they won this money, who are after them to get their piece of it. Whether you give it to them or whether they steal it from you, you become a target in this society because you got a lot of money and that's what other people want. And it's gonna change your relationship with your relatives, probably break up your marriage when it's all said and done. And God would not do that to you. And he's not going to give you anything that is going to turn you away from him. <laughs> so he's the perfect father. He has your best interest at heart. So, you know, I learned that pretty quickly on after becoming a Christian. That you got to look at it sensibly and see it through God's eyes. Jesus is not saying here ask and it will be given to you. He's not saying that believers always get what they ask for. Wrong motives will hinder answers to prayer. And again, referring to James, these two passages tie in. James said in James 4 verse 3, when you ask, this is why you don't get certain things, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So that's not the way we're to come to God with a list of things that is going to just give us pleasure. That's the wrong motive. It's selfish. 
and chances are you're not going to get that thing. If you think about Jesus' life, Jesus prayed a lot to his Father. When you read through all four Gospels, he's continually praying to the Father. I don't think I ever remember one single prayer that Jesus offered that had to do with satisfying his own pleasure. Can you think of any? Except maybe for one. It was the night before his crucifixion. And he asked the Father, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. The cup symbolizing all that he was going to have to endure on his way to the cross. And finally, his death and burial. Was that self-centered? You know, some people might say, well, maybe, yeah, a little bit. But don't forget how he closed that prayer. He said to the Father, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus always knew when he prayed to the Father that the prayer and the request was ultimately going to have to fit in with God's overall plan and God's will. And we should all learn in our life, and sometimes it's a hard lesson to learn, that a lot of times our will differs from God's will. <laughs> our will tends to be self-centered in a lot of ways, not in all ways, but when you think about it, you know, we want to consume something for our own pleasure. But the more time a Christian spends in communion with God, the more he or she will know what to ask for in accordance with God's will. And you know what? God's will is always the best. In fact, this is how Paul described it in Romans 12, verse 2. He said that God's will surpasses our will in every case. His will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Romans 12, verse 2. That's how he described God's will. Good, pleasing, and perfect. So in my years as a Christian, I've prayed for a lot of things over the years. Some things I received and I mean, they were good, good answers to, to the prayers. And a lot of things I didn't receive because I came to understand that they didn't really fit into God's will for me. And I would want to put my will ahead of God's will and asking God, well, God, why can't I have this? Or why can't this work out this way? His will is always the best because he knows what's best for me. He's the perfect father. When I was growing up as a kid, I asked my parents for a lot of stuff. And I didn't always get it, because they knew what was best for me. They also knew what they could afford, uh, and, and so on. So their will trumped mine. But as Christians, God's will needs to trump ours, because he always knows. He knows from the beginning to the end. He knows the whole plan that he's got for our lives. And that's what he wants to work out. We look at the here and now and what's going to pleasure me and, and, and you know, what is going to make me happy in this life. God's desire is for you to be in his kingdom for all eternity. And that's what he's going to base his decision on because that's what's best for you. 
And I know sometimes God's will doesn't always seem pleasing at the time when he tells me no and he does what he knows is best for me. It's not always pleasing, but you know what? Eventually, when you start to think more like God, you begin to see that, yeah, he was right. He was right all along. And now looking back, I'm glad that I didn't get what I asked for. So never forget that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It's the perfect thing for us. It's not just a better thing than we came up with, but it's the perfect thing for us. So that's what Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Be in communication with me, God says. I like it when you come to me and ask for things because it shows me that you really depend on me and you trust in me. So we need to do that a lot. Secondly, he said back there in Matthew 7, verse 7, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. What is it that believers should be seeking? What is it that children of God should be seeking? Well, two things jump out to us from Scripture. Let's turn to John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. The first thing that we should be seeking is God and a relationship with him. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, now this is eternal life. This is what it's all about. This is why we're here and, you know, our goal, God's goal for us is to live eternally with him. Now this is eternal life, Jesus says to the Father, that they, that's us, that they may know you. The one, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus sums up the reason we were created, (laughs) the reason that the whole human race was created, that we may know God, that we may come to a knowledge of him, we may enter into a relationship with him, a personal and intimate relationship with him through Jesus Christ as we claim him as our savior and to come to know him as the only true God and we need to come to know Jesus Christ as our savior. That's what we need to be seeking, a deeper and deeper relationship. There's a lot of Christians who are very surface. You know, they hear about Jesus Christ. They may even come to the point where, you know, they they are baptized and they think, well, that's it. I've, I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. I'll be in heaven. But that's only the beginning. It's God's desire that we seek him on a continual basis, that we're mindful of him, that he is our priority in life. So seeking God on a continual basis, in other words, desiring to know him more intimately every day, is the essence of eternal life, which the Bible calls true life. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life. And that's the kind of life he was talking about, not just, you know, pumping blood and breathing in oxygen. Real life is living in a relationship with the only true God. So the most important thoughts our minds can entertain are thoughts of God. Because as we do that, as we seek him daily, 
These thoughts are going to determine the quality and the direction of our lives. So seek and you will find. And I don't know about you, but as I've sought God more and more throughout my life, I've come to a much better understanding of him and uh, an ability to appreciate all that he's done for me through the years, his kindness, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, and all those things. So we're to seek God first and foremost, but here's something else we're told to seek in the Bible. Matthew 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus again says this, don't worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So not only are we to seek God and we're gonna find him, but Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So God's righteousness is something we know it's credited to us. That's how we become more and more like God and that's why God can consider us to be righteous and holy. It's not because we're such wonderful law-abiding people all the time. It's because Jesus is holy, and when we claim, his, claim him as our savior, his righteousness is credited to us. That's why when Jesus returns, you and I are gonna be wearing white robes when we greet him, when we come to the wedding feast. We're wearing white robes, not because we've been perfect like I said, law-abiding people. We are sometimes, but a lot of times we're not. Jesus' obedience to the Father, Jesus' keeping of the law is credited to us, again, through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So we're told to seek God with our whole heart, and we're also told to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And we receive his righteousness by claiming Jesus as our savior, becoming a follower of him, a believer in him. And he guides us along the way throughout the rest of our lives. So is God something you're seeking regularly? Is his kingdom something that you're seeking and his righteousness something that you're seeking regularly? Don't forget the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's most important to you in life? To a lot of people, there's a lot of important things in this world that really turn out to be nothing. Knowledge of God, relationship with God, that's what we should be seeking as Christians. And finally, he said in Matthew 7, 7, knock and the door will be open to you. Now, why do we knock? It's a custom in many countries. If there's a door there and you want something behind the door, you want access to what's behind the door, or you want to talk to a person behind the door, what do you do? You go up to the door and you knock on it. So if a person needs something from someone behind the door, we knock. And we keep knocking until the door is opened and the desire is met whatever you desire behind that door. So sometimes God is 
behind a door to a lot of people. He's not readily accessible. Now we know we have constant access to God. Whatever covering there was that kept us from God has been removed. Remember when Jesus died in the temple, there was a big curtain, very heavy curtain, that blocked people from access to God. God was too holy for people to come in contact with. So there was something blocking their access to God. But when Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two. So we now have access to God. We don't have to knock on doors. God, God is readily accessible. All we have to do is lift up a prayer or call out to him. He's there. And no matter where we are, Scripture says we can be down in a mine. He's there. We could be an astronaut on the moon. He's there with us. There's no way we can be separated from God anymore. But initially, we, we knocked to gain access to him. We had to learn about Jesus and the freedom we have now to have access to God. So what we do now is we approach God on a regular basis. We pray in faith for God's provision and he supplies it to us. So it's ask with a continual asking. It is seek with a continual seeking and it is knock with a continual knocking. That's what our lives as Christians are all about. This relationship we have with God, we have to make use of it in a positive way. Now back here in Matthew 7, he goes on after this in verse 9. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, and we all still sin, we all still fight human nature, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So he makes this comparison here, saying we have enough common sense if our child is in need and needs a fish or you know a piece of bread we're going to give them what they ask for we're going to supply their need how much more will god do that for us now i like that principle and it's true but you know in all of our lives there have been times maybe a time of tragedy or a time of death of a loved one or friend, it may look on the surface like you got a stone instead of a piece of bread. And you were praying and praying and praying and you knew the outcome you wanted to see and you wanted to have this person healed or you wanted to have that hurricane stay away from your neighborhood. You were asking for a piece of bread from God and it didn't work out that way. And you think you got a stone instead of a piece of bread. It may look like you got the opposite of what you asked for. That's happened in my life, and I'm sure it's happened in all of your lives too. It may look like you got the opposite of what you asked for, and in the midst of 
the pain you suffered because of what happened, the heartache, the doubt that you feel, you know what, God will increase your faith and remind you, as it says in the book of Romans, that all things, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8 verse 28, and we remember that verse all the time. But why does it happen that things don't work out the way you prayed for? The person you were praying for eventually died. And we feel a sense of loss and sorrow or a tragedy or an accident happens in your life. It, looks like, it may look like a stone instead of a bread that you asked for. It may feel like a stone, but it's not a stone. God's word never fails. God never goes back on his promises. So don't think that God let you down or God, out of his anger or whatever, gave you the opposite of what you asked for. God never goes back on his promises. Sometimes the things that happen are not what we asked for, not what we wanted, but ultimately it is what's best for us. And that, I'll tell you, that is one of the toughest lessons to learn, even as a Christian. We pray and pray and pray for the things that we desire, and sometimes we get those prayers answered, but sometimes we don't. And we always ask ourselves the question, why? Maybe I'm still too sinful. Maybe this, maybe that. And God, you promised, why didn't it work out the way that I prayed for? Let me repeat that. Sometimes the things that happen are not what we asked for, not what we wanted, but ultimately it is what's best. Because don't forget, God's will is not only good, it's not only pleasing, but it's perfect. And this is where faith comes in. We have the confidence to know that whatever happens in this life, whatever we face in this life, since we have put ourselves in God's hands, since we are in Christ, whatever happens in our life is what God wants to happen in our life. And you will at some point, maybe not right away, but you and I at some point will be grateful for how God responded to our prayers. And we don't understand everything in this life. And there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. But the time will be coming in the future when we see God face to face and he's going to take the time, I'm sure, to maybe rehearse our lives and explain to us why this happened, why that happened, why God answered your prayer that way instead of the way we requested. He has an overall plan for each of our lives. Often there is no way anyone can know why God allowed something terrible to happen. You know, as a pastor, I'll tell you what, it's one of the toughest questions that we try to answer. Maybe the death of a child in a family. And I'm at the funeral service and the parents come up to me and say, Pastor John, why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? And a lot of times I have to shrug my shoulders and just say, I have to confess, I don't know. We will find out someday and we will understand that it was 
in our best interest that it happened. It didn't feel like it when it happened, but eventually God will reveal why. And we have faith and trust that God's will is perfect. That God's will is perfect. We can trust that it was God's will, but understanding how it is God's perfect plan is another matter in this life. In heaven, we will understand and come to be in perfect agreement with what God's plan was for our earthly lives. And I'll tell you what, I'll confess that, you know, it was very difficult for me when God called our son home. And, you know, we prayed and prayed and prayed for his healing, but God decided what was best. And it was a lesson for both my wife and I in faith. And what he did was he directed us to his promises of eternal life, of, you know, seeing our son again in heaven. And that's what held us together. It's a matter of faith and trust. And sometimes to learn faith, the lessons are hard. But I know many of you have gone through similar situations in your life. Do you remember when Jesus performed a miracle and fed a group of 5,000? Well, it was 5,000 men plus women and children. They weren't even mentioned. But these people were out there listening to him teach, and they were hungry. And Jesus performed a miracle, providing enough loaves of bread and fish for the entire group. And something funny happened. After everybody was filled, okay, the people ate to the point that they couldn't eat anymore. Jesus told the disciples, I want you to go around with baskets and pick up all the leftovers. Because with Jesus, nothing is ever wasted. Think about that. That's the lesson to learn from that incident. With Jesus, nothing ever goes to waste. And we can apply that to our personal lives because we have experienced things in our lives as Christians that we thought were very fruitful, downright holy, maybe a miracle or a tremendous blessing had come our way. And those were all for a really good purpose and they benefited us. But you know what? There's also been not so good stuff that has happened in our lives, each and every one of us. What about that? Well, don't forget, with Jesus, nothing ever goes to waste. No matter what we experience in our lives, there's a benefit to it. It may not look like it at the time, because we may be too full of tears and agony and regret or whatever the case may be. We're suffering, because this isn't the way we prayed for it to come out. Nothing ever goes to waste with Jesus. No matter what we experience in life, nothing is ever wasted, even the bad times. There's something being worked out there by God. Everything we experience, good or bad, serves a purpose as far as God is concerned. And one of the toughest lessons to learn is the lesson of faith and trust in God in the midst of tough times. Because our, our response is, God, 
you know, I prayed and prayed and prayed for it to work out this way, and it worked out just the opposite. God has its purposes. And you know what? Faith is all about trusting God and knowing that he knows better than we do. He sees the whole picture. He sees the end results. And God doesn't even quite look at life the way we do. We see it from our earthly perspective. This life is all that we've known and all that we've experienced. And we want it to go on as long as possible, okay? Because we kind of enjoy living on this earth and we've grown accustomed to it and have a lot of friends and so on. But God is looking from a totally different perspective. He is looking at us from the perspective of eternity. He wants us together with him for all eternity as co-heirs with Jesus Christ and just enjoying the life that he enjoys. You know, it's great to be God. God is joyful every day. And he looks down on our lives and his main purpose is for us to be there with him for all eternity. And he knows for that to happen, we're going to have to experience some bad times in this life. And we certainly live in a world that is prone to violence and suffering and death and war and all that. And sometimes those things affect us. But God promises that whatever happens to us, it's not a stone, it's bread. We may not see it clearly at the time and we may not even understand it in this life. But sometime in the future, God will make it very plain. And we will see then that his will is truly good and pleasing and perfect. So let's keep our sights on God. Let's continually remember his promises. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And he's always there for us. And he's going to work out his will in our lives. And it's always the best will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and the lesson that we're to ask, we're to seek, we're to knock with a continual asking and seeking and knocking. Help us never lose sight of you as the one who provides all of our needs, that you are the only true God, and the things that we ask for, you're going to filter them through your will and always give us what is absolutely the best, the finest. Because your desire is for us to enjoy heaven with you forever. And that's where we want to be too, Father. So help us in those tough times. Help us in those difficult struggles. Help us to keep our sights on you. Fill us with faith. Increase our faith, Father. Because our goal too is to be there with you for all eternity. We love you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.